really see that why that's a messianic psalm, a psalm that speaks of our Lord Jesus and his suffering, also his zeal for the Lord and his certainty of his resurrection. We'll sing or we'll read now together the text that I will preach to you this afternoon, continuing on uh, in John, the early chapters of John. We looked at our Lord Jesus calling the first disciples in the wedding at Cana. And now we'll continue by looking at John 2, verses 13 to 22. That's the text for the message this morning, and it's on page 887 in the, the Pew Bible. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in order to understand the message of the text today, we need to first understand the problem that Jesus saw when he entered the temple and the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus entered the place on earth where God had condescended to meet with his people so that they could seek him, so that they could receive the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins, and so that they could praise his name. But instead of seeing people on their knees contemplating the holiness of God and their own sins, he saw a bunch of people focused on commerce and trade. It's like seeing uh, a, an open bank in the church foyer as you come in to worship. Except that it was worse than that because the merchants and the money changers were making it hard for people to see the only way to the Father in Jesus Christ. Although the Jews and the disciples didn't understand it at this time, John explains in the last verses of our text that later on the disciples came to understand the connection that Jesus made between the temple and his own body. And that helps us to understand why Jesus reacted so strongly to the business that was taking place in the temple, which not only profaned the holiness of the temple, but also undermined the very work that Jesus had come to do. 
The trade that Jesus saw taking place in the temple was like a big pile of, of dirt that was covering the road that people needed to walk on in order to come to heaven. And so in his zeal for the way to salvation that God presented to the world in his son Jesus Christ, Jesus in our text is like the bulldozer that's clearing the mess away. He had come to the earth to earth to replace the temple as the new and only way to the Father. And he wants you to know about this work so that you too can come to the Father through him. And I preach you this gospel under the theme, Christ replaces the temple as the only way to the Father. We'll see that he removes the obstacles that block the way and he rose from the dead to become the way. Now imagine what it would be like to be one of Jesus' disciples, to, to follow him around during his ministry on earth. If we were there with him when he performed that sign at the wedding in Cana, we would have been filled with joy and pride at our teacher. But if we had been there with him at the temple, I think that many of us would have stared in surprise and perhaps even felt embarrassed by what he did there. We learn from verse 12 that Jesus, that, that after spending some days in Capernaum, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, for the Jewish Passover, he went into the temple, but instead of finding a place for, for praying and preparing with other believers for the Passover feast, Jesus caused a great commotion directly in front of the highest leaders of the church. And since that building, the building contained the holy places, was set apart only for the priests, and the courtyard around that, containing the big altar for sacrifices, was only for Jewish men, when Jesus saw those merchants and money changers who had set up shop, he was probably in the courtyard, the furthest outside that was reserved for women and Gentiles. And then we can imagine the scene in the midst of this influx of visitors for the Passover, everyone wanting to change their money from their region into the proper coinage for the, to pay the temple tax. We can imagine our Lord Jesus seeing the scene, the people shouting, you need to exchange those, those shekels for Tyrian coinage so you can pay the temple tax. Come to me, I'll give you the best rates. Serve, uh, save yourself a trip to the country and come and get your Passover lamb right here. The convenience is unbelievable. Another might shout, group discounts on oxen for sin offering for your whole community. Another might shout, the pigeons for the poor are in the cages in the back row. And another shouting, sacrificial animals for the discerning gentleman who wants to show his piety. Another might shout, don't mind the women and the Gentiles who are trying to pray. Just step by them and come and get your best deal here. And another might shout, watch where you step. We can imagine the sound of the animals the smells of the market, the noises of the people of all ages 
when our Lord Jesus made that whip and he drove the animals and the merchants and the money changers out of the temple area like we read together. The disciples saw that zeal for his father's house consumed our Lord Jesus when they saw Jesus driving the merchants and out and, and flipping over the tables of the money changers. And then they remembered the words of Psalm 69, verse 9. This messianic psalm that was describing the suffering of our Lord. The Messiah describes his righteous zeal by identifying himself with the temple of the Lord. So much, he said, that the insults of those who insult the Lord fell upon him. And this is exactly what the disciples saw being fulfilled before their eyes in the temple that day. The Lord Jesus felt the pain of the offense to God that the merchants were causing by the commercializing the worship of God and undermining the importance of the sacrifices offered to God with contrite hearts and prayer. And zeal for his father's house consumed our Lord so that he could not tolerate the practice of offering the elements of worship as if they were a commodity or a service. He couldn't tolerate having people look at the Lord's holy things as someone might look at a fun tradition. We see that sometimes obedience to God's commandments requires us to be fanatic about our faith. Our Lord Jesus was fanatic about the truth. Did no one believe that God was holy anymore? Where were the undeserving sinners on their knees in humble repentance? Had the fear of God left their hearts? What Jesus saw in the temple that day is something the church and every one of us continues to struggle with today. You walk into any Christian bookstore or any numbers-focused churches and you can see what marketing the Christian faith can sometimes look like. And for us also, it's not hard to fall into the trap of wanting to make the faith so convenient and attractive that we end up forgetting about what the gospel message is all about and we lose everything. As soon as we think more about offering a service to people who are seeking God, than actually giving the opportunity for them to meet God in worship directly through the confession of our sins and true repentance and sincere sacrifices of our lives and joyful dedication to Jesus Christ and enduring trust. While we stand in danger of hindering the work of the Holy Spirit through the means that he has given us to use. As we look at what Jesus did now, looking from the post-resurrection perspective, looking at it from what he told us, what the disciples recognized after, we also are able to see a deeper motivation for what our Lord Jesus is doing. Jesus was concerned by the blindness of the Jews toward all that God had revealed about their absolute need for sacrifices offered to God 
Because if they didn't understand the sacrifices and the altar and the temple, they also would not be able to understand Jesus Christ's work. And we see the importance of the book of Hebrews that shows us Christ by teaching us what we read together, the Old Testament. People who do not understand God's revelation in the Old Testament cannot understand the gospel of the kingdom that our Lord Jesus Christ had come to proclaim and to fulfill. As long as they replaced a a true and living relationship with the Father, with their merchants and money, they would remain condemned sinners, dying at the gateway to the gracious work of the saving work of God. So close, right there, using the words, knowing what to do, but not coming through to see the Father in Jesus Christ. You see why Jesus had zeal for that temple, was love for his people. Jesus wouldn't let it happen before his eyes. When the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple, he was removing those misleading lies. He was clearing the foggy mist so that God's people could see him more clearly. Our Lord Jesus wants his church to understand that so-called religious activity without Christ will not save us from the wrath of God. And brothers and sisters, our text today then is a preparing text, a text that teaches us to prepare our hearts to see Jesus Christ. The problem of the merchants and the money changers was not with what they were doing, but it was with where they were doing it. The problem was not that they were helping people to worship the Lord, but the problem was that they were interfering with their worship. Just as Amos had warned, they were corrupting their holy rest in God by bringing worldly concerns in instead of taking their holiness out into the world to improve it. There continue to be things in our lives that can lead us to undermine the true message of the gospel, whether it be the forms of worship or the imagined expectations that we think that others have, or the desire for convenience, or the confusion between entertainment and worship, which become a problem when they obscure our view of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, and Him alone. When Jesus cleansed the temple, He revealed that He is the Messiah that Malachi promised who would come to purify the temple. You can read about that in Malachi chapter 3. He stepped forward as the shepherd who protects his sheep from worldly ideas dripping into the church. Our Savior and our King is strong to drive out all the complacence and ignorance from his church through the whip of his exhortations and his warnings and church discipline so that the hearts of his people might not be deceived or distracted by the temptations of the world, so that they can always see Christ before them. And so he leads us by his Spirit and his Word to see the sins in our own hearts. He leads us so that we never stop fighting against those sins. He ordains under-shepherds to 
discipline those who are wandering away, to call them back to the way of salvation in Him so that He might that we might join our Lord in fighting against the sins that obscure the truth. In his zeal, our Lord cleansed the temple so that we might see him and turn to him and so have access to God to receive him in our hearts. Christ rose from the dead to open the way to his Father. So when Psalm 69 talks about the zeal consuming the promised Messiah, it can actually be taken in two ways. On the one hand, it can mean that his zeal is something that takes up all his focus and that he is obsessed with defending the honor of his father. Indeed, that's what he showed while he was there in the temple. But it can also mean that his zeal can have the result that he is consumed or overcome to the point of death. That's what we were singing about in the context in Psalm 69. And John shows us that this is exactly what could happen when he introduced the the hostile questions of the Jews in the temple. Again, reminding us of Psalm 69, of the the people looking at him and laughing at him and sneering and, and mocking him. The Jews didn't trust who Jesus was, did not accept his word immediately. John refers to the Jews in this context, in this gospel. It's consistently a reference to the leaders of the church at the time. He's talking about the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the experts in the law. We read that when Jesus looked and they saw all that Jesus had done in the temple, they were not so convinced that he was wrong that they just arrested him right away. There was a hesitation. There was a pause. Perhaps they too remembered the words of Psalm 69 verse 9 or maybe the prophecy of Malachi 3 verse 1 to 4 about that messenger from God who would refine his temple. Maybe they were wondering, is he perhaps the promised Messiah? For Jesus was certainly fulfilling prophecy. He was acting like a Messiah. And if he was, they knew that it would be wise to submit to him. And perhaps this is why our Lord Jesus didn't criticize the Jews for asking for a sign that proved that he was sent by God because by performing a sign he could prove to them that he had a right and authority to drive out those merchants and money changers. And then in his grace we read that Jesus gives him a sign which they would see with their own eyes. It's in verse 19. He said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, Jesus' answer would not have been easy for the Jews or the disciples to understand at that moment. It took several men 46 years to to get to that temple to the point where it was now. Why would they destroy it? And if they did destroy it, how could Jesus hope to raise it up again in three days? And since Jesus did not immediately explain what he meant, John adds in the explanation that later on the disciples came to realize what Jesus was saying in his ministry, that he was comparing the temple to his own body. After they had seen Jesus, heard Jesus teach some more, after they had seen Jesus clear the temple a second time, 
near the end of his ministry, and after he had risen from the dead, then they understood that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Although sadly, the Jews returned to buying and selling in the temple so that Jesus once again needed to drive out the merchants and money changers who were making the house of prayer for all nations into a den of robbers. And sadly, false witnesses even used Jesus' words about building up the temple again as testimony against him to condemn him to death. Jesus' disciples would come to see the gospel message that Jesus declared. They believed in the word They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, we read in verse 22. Today, together with those faithful disciples, we can see very clearly how Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. And the sign that he gave to confirm his authority has been made very clear to us. When the Jews collaborated with the Romans to crucify our Lord Jesus, they destroyed the temple of his body that he was talking about. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he raised the temple of his body up again. Although the false witnesses had used Jesus' words to condemn him at the end of his life, God used their words to remind the Jews of the sign that Jesus had given them so that they might respond like the disciples and believe. And although the Roman guards that the Jews had placed in front of Jesus' tomb intended to prevent a deception, God used those guards as witnesses to the fact that Jesus raised up the temple that they had destroyed in just three days when he rose from the dead so that they might believe that he is the promised Messiah, so that the world might believe that Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Old Testament temple, has become the new and living way into eternal fellowship with God. It's there before us. The Lord Jesus spoke it. He has given the sign. He has fulfilled the sign. He has called those Pharisees to believe. And what about you? What do you think of all this? What does it mean for your life? Well, the words that Jesus used at the beginning of his ministry that were so hard for the Jews and disciples to understand, they're as clear for us today as the resurrection. And it's a most wonderful gospel. The Romans may have destroyed the earthly temple in 70 A.D., And the enemies of the Lord may have destroyed the body of Jesus Christ when they crucified him on the cross. But he rose again on the third day, just as he said. And so he has opened up the way to an everlasting dwelling with God. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we know, whom we love, whom we love so much, He has fulfilled the entire function and the purpose of the Old Testament temple by his death and resurrection so that we who love him, who are waiting for his appearing, might enter to the holy presence of God through him. 
Jesus Christ is the high priest who fulfills the work of all the priests in the Old Testament. He offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would not have to be punished for them. He fulfills all the Old Testament sacrifices. He obtains complete atonement for everyone who believes in him. And his resurrection from the dead proved that he was innocent of all transgression, that his payment was received, that our payment was received. And so he guarantees the justification of everyone who believes in him. Hear what he tells you in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then it was that text also displayed as we came in this morning, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when you get there, my brother, my sister, when you get there, you will see it with your own eyes. There will be no temple in the new heaven, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. Revelation 20 says, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. We are in them. We are in the place of God's dwelling. Jesus Christ is the connection between your life here on earth and whatever you're all doing here on on earth. He is the connection between your life here on earth and everlasting life in the glory of heaven. When we put our faith in him, when we put our faith in his work today, he transfers us from that kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light and he dwells right in our very hearts by his Holy Spirit so that the apostle can call each one of us a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Lord see? What does the Holy Spirit see as he humbles himself to dwell in our very hearts? How faithfully are we fighting against the pride, the desires of our sinful nature that so often obscure the gospel of grace to us in Jesus Christ? How often are we being misled to look away from the road that leads to life in Jesus Christ? May God help us to constantly cleanse our hearts from all these things that distract us from the truth of the Scriptures and the Word of Christ Jesus our Lord. May we be consumed with zeal for the Lord's house so that we may stay focused on the important things in our Christian faith. The need we have for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. The grace of God who sent His Son to die on a cross for us. Our place in Christ who is the living way to glory. And God, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Amen.